welcome Karush to this conversation between the two of us. I don't know that it's um, Sense-Based Podcast or Karush Kailu Podcast, which is your podcast, but it's somehow like meeting in between the two podcasts. And um, this is a really interesting conversation because you started your podcast right at the same time as, as I was making my first foray. I remember both at that time, we were very uh, interested in what was going on with Joe Rogan experience. And um, yeah, we've both sort of been on that track, different tracks over the last, gosh, it must be three years since we were doing those like practice uh, conversations uh, yes. before, before we even had podcasts, we were doing some some dry runs and, and talking and recording. So yeah, with that long, slightly rambling introduction, welcome Karush to the conversation space. Thank you for initiating this conversation, Jacob. It is your one of my good friends that I gained from school at UCSD. And those initial conversations are actually a couple of the single digit Purush Koilu podcast episodes. It was formerly named This Is It Podcasting and I decided to change that. I think those podcasts I got up to somewhere around seven or eight, they were produced in 2019 and then huge hiatus just you know even before covid became a serious dilemma within the western world i stopped that practice hmm. and then somewhere at the end of 2020 i regained the practice and it was it's been interesting definitely i think mostly positive I would say mostly positive. Um, it's it's not what continues. Sorry, I'm just going to jump in because it's really interesting that you describe it as a practice. Yes, it is a practice. And it's, uh, I mean, you know, people have asked me, it's like, is, you know, I don't know. People ask me, is this like your primary source of income or what and it's like no I have multiple sources of income and this is something that I enjoy doing and I produce and it is very rewarding I mean I've connected with people some people love to speak like yourself and myself and several of our friends who've been on my podcast and you know, there are people who are willing to podcast, you know, two, three times a year. And there are others, you know, who, for whatever reason, maybe it's because they don't want to podcast with me necessarily, which is understandable, or they don't feel comfortable speaking in public, which I also understand, you know, mm -hmm. I, I release, you know, clips of myself speaking. And there are several times, you know, today, especially where if you listen to what I say grammatically, it doesn't actually, it's not correct and it doesn't necessarily flow that well. I think the overall 
subject matter and the way I'm attempting to communicate my thinking is, is there, is, you know, is inherently, not inherent to me it is, but is, you can, people are able to decipher that from the speech, but when you actually listen to the speech, it isn't necessarily, you know, there's like, sense of grammar that's off and i can sense i can see this i'm listening to the entire clip it's a one minute long clip and i can hear myself speaking and it's like wow that didn't make sense or even like when we are attempting to communicate something that you know maybe if we didn't intend to actually bring up but it comes out and we struggle with that you know, mm-hmm. I'm not sure what to say or how to continue, but you know, that's not easy to handle or even to move a conversation. And I know a lot of people, and so when we try and speak and communicate, it's not easy to pick the specific vernacular, the specific diction that we that actually communicates what we're thinking. It takes a lot of, I've come to realize, reading, writing, speaking with other people, listening to other people, things that I didn't value for a long time. I didn't value these things. And I've just come to realize they're invaluable and continuing the practice of being a part of the community and communicating with others is, you know, it, it's empowering. Mm. And I think the first person that I heard speak in that term and communicate that subject matter to me was Jordan Peterson. He, it was this clip, you know, he has many clips of people create clips of him and he posts sayings, you know, speeches that he puts on himself and he says at one point I'm, I'm sure you've seen this and many people have that the purpose of reading and writing isn't to get good grades it's to become a good communicator and it's to be able to be powerful with our speech and our word And that is the reason that we read and we write. And that is something that I value much, much more than I did. You know, my traditional background in education is engineering and mathematics. So, and that hasn't gone away. I still love engineering and mathematics, but, and physics too. I mean, if anything, you know, physics, you know, it's a very, very powerful subject matter. And so it's many of the STEM disciplines, but even in diving into these disciplines, it requires a lot of reading, a lot of being able to communicate with subject matter experts, people who know more than you and There's the challenges that are presented today in the engineering realm are so great that, 
you know, it's very difficult for these, you know, tech geniuses to come out. I'm not going to say that it's not going to happen. I hope they come out, you know, these Elon Musks, these, mm. these Mark Zuckerbergs, these Jack Dorseys, these, I'm not sure the Google CEO's names and the Google founders' names, but whoever they are, or the, the, what is uh, the Apple, the creator of Apple? How do I, Steve Jobs. Yeah. Yes. Um, I mean, we, you know, I think the, the, the startup mentality can be very powerful, but a lot of the challenges today, even for startups and people that want to progress are going to require being able to communicate, being able to be empathetic with other people that you want to work with, being you know, un, mo, a lot of it's empathy and understanding where they come from and then making sure they understand where you come from because, you know, we spoke about it earlier. There, you know, I, you know, we spoke about it before the recording that some people, you know, you were saying how to, speak and how to maintain a sort of dialect with an individual. I don't know if I'm giving your words actual mm -hmm. correct weight. And then I made the argument that some people are have a very difficult time being empathetic with others. Yes. And you know, it's hard to communicate with them. And you know, I had a program manager on my podcast and his his you know, whole thing, you know, for he, he was managing a lot of people. And one of his pillars on, you know, he, he assumed if you're an engineer, you're going to know engineering. You know, if you're a financial person, you're going to know something about finances. If you're a uh, technical lead, you're going to know something about that. But if you're not able to work with people, that's something that's nearly unfixable and so yeah i i think you've zeroed in on something super important there and i i also want to like uh shift gears a little bit because there were so many things at the beginning of your journey there that that was just like so much in it i was like holy shit like a whole world of um interesting life developments occurred in that early part that i wanted to sort of draw out um but this thing about you know difficult conversations challenging conversations is really like live for me right now it's like where the um the journey's been taking me in terms of uh the practice of dialogue so definitely want to talk about that but um yeah it was it was interesting hearing you talk about finding language for what's going on in your head like just the very basic process of like thought experience and then bringing through into words and also words that you know what not just words for the sake of words but words that then meet the other person's understanding um which which 
it seems like your journey with the podcast somehow taking you continuously up to the edges of something, at least in my own journey, I felt that continually like it's, there is this boundary, uh, this edge of um, understanding of expressing of communicating that I'm being brought to. And like each conversation has the potential to take me to um, that sort of edge. And then in that edge space, then I can like do the messy work of saying something new, potentially. Um, but I found that with a really, um, with a intentional space and with a dialogue partner who's also practiced, the quality of the space itself can make it easier for the things to flow out and through. And so it's not really that I'm like, there's, there's a feeling that I'm not the one who's like the genius for saying the thing that I said. It's more that I am coming into relationship with the flow or wisdom that's already there. And then the thing will just come out and so, yeah, and, and also another like interesting distinction between the podcast journeys we went on is that I sort of went out into this completely other sphere, I guess, this other, like not, um, not an existing social sphere, like something that was just kind of emerging and not really a coherent, um, network yet and your podcast has become like the official UCSD SAE alumni network channel I mean I know you talk with a lot of other professionals and you're talking to a lot of like real on the ground people in San Diego business people uh, and various other professions but it's it's interesting that you've kind of um you've really drawn on that resource and you've created this like space that sort of keeps the, the energy of that social community alive by just through you, through you, like doing the work of reaching out, having these conversations. Um, like I get to see that I get to see like, Oh, his Karush with Paul or Eden or like some of the alumni that I never met. Um, that's an interesting dynamic as well, but of course it is like, it's more in continuity with the relationships that you had before. And so when the relationships already established, it can be more challenging to take it into a new, new terrain or a new direction, um, than say like meeting a new person, then you're actually just being met for the first time and you get to sort of bring forward yourself. Uh, like each person I meet somehow discloses me in a new way. Like I'm not the same person. I'm a slightly different person through each person's eyes. Yes. It's traveling makes all of this very obvious. Traveling to places with a high international diversity it's, or even just uh, 
somewhere where we weren't born and raised for most of our childhood. It's the importance. Yes, it be you know we get to introduce ourselves every single day. You know, to someone new and someone who has a different context on life, someone who doesn't un, you know doesn't necessarily know our context of life. And you're right. You know, those podcasts with new individuals are people that I've never met before. There is a lot to gain. And I'm not sure if you've heard of the term weak connections. I read a book maybe last year. Hmm. I think it had something to do with our 20s, the 20s, and individuals, you know, what they do in their 20s shapes them for the rest of their life. And in that book, I believe the author brings up the idea of weak connections, how weak connections are very powerful because they open up avenues that were completely closed off to us. Whereas strong connections bring, you know, more or less, they, you know, they're very supportive. I, I brought this up to a friend last week and he said, yeah, strong connection. He, he said, uh, he, he agrees, but he also made the point that strong connections, I didn't have this point, are very supportive and very critical for supporting an individual, but mm. they don't, but the point of the book, you know, why, I think it has, the title was something like why your 20, why your 20s matter, was that weak connections open up avenues to our life that you know we couldn't even fathom or see before or would have no access to without tapping into those connections so you, i am you know personally grateful for weak connections and try to tap into those more because you know strong connections are important and i I'm very grateful for the people who I, you know, I'm very close to. They're very important to me because without them, I mean, they're very important for everyone. It's a critical foundation to most values in every single society ever mm -hmm. um, to highly value strong connections like family and, you know, Eventually, I think those do reach out to your neighbor and your friends. But weak connections are valuable too. They open up avenues. They bring up things that were seemingly, you know, like I said, impossible, impossible to reach. And I'm, you know, you, you seem to have tapped into that, and that has been the backbone of your podcast. I'm sure. How has that journey been for you? I you know with my experience, you know, people are a bit more hesitant 
to, at least for me, you know, getting rejected isn't easy when you ask someone to be on your podcast and they say either they can't now or they will maybe some other time or they, you know, they just won't, they just aren't interested or can't. Mm -hmm. And it's not easy to take, but it's really not, I'm not sure I'm, you know, after I make this comment, I would be very interested to hear what you have to say, but as far as getting rejected, it doesn't feel good. I can't deny that it feels not, it feels less optim. It feels bad. Yeah. But, <laughs> but it's real. I have to remind myself this, that even if it feels bad, it's not a big deal. It's a very light hearted deal. And, you know, once someone says respect, hopefully respectful, but everyone's most people are respectful because I, I think you and I both are pretty respectful to anyone who we'd like to be on our podcast or, you know, speak with that they're not interested, then you, you know, just walk away. But it's definitely difficult to get rejected, but I try to remind myself that it's not a big deal. I can, I can definitely resonate with this, uh, Karush. It's another really interesting aspect of this that, um, well, first I want to sort of mirror back what you're talking about with the weak and strong connections. Cause that was interesting. Um, and what I was hearing in that, I, I sort of felt like the weak and strong weren't like the relevant words for it, at least how I was hearing it. It was kind of like serendipitous or like new, new unknown connections and then like stronger ongoing relationships, like the fabric of your life kind of thing. Um, and I do feel that the ideal is somehow to have both of those going on um to be like having new conversations with people regularly um is definitely an opening and a practice in itself um but then like yeah those relationships that are kind of traveling with you through time are what makes up your life ultimately um and what really you know shows shows you what's important, where the value is, um, where the love is, and so on. Um, however, the distinction there is that it's in the new relationships that something surprising happens. And in the existing relationships, it's kind of stable or the same. And my experience over the last year and a half, two years has been so much change, so much transformation, both in myself and in relationship to the world at the same time, that the best relationships I've discovered have been the ones that are themselves with other people who are also having that sort of experience. Um, and so the odd of it has been having relationships where both people are changing over time. And then each conversation is somehow, you know, you have the familiarity, but you're also 
like open to the newness that something like you don't the person is somehow still mysterious there's still something unknown um going on and then yes. so far as i'm open to that or listening to that i could also be inviting that in somebody who um you know feels like there's no mystery in life at all <laughs> you know in the, in the difficult conversation end of things that we were talking about um feels to me that somehow the practice that i'm doing with the most devoted intentional dialogue partners where we're really exploring transformative dialogue having this experience of flowing with not knowing and being really in presence uh with one another um that gives me skills that I take out and have recently found a lot of use in really difficult conversations with, um, and I had this week where I just had like all the difficult conversations coming up, like all the family relationships, all of the kinds of conversations that make me feel anxious and ambivalent and like, I'm, sort of thinking and planning, trying to like plan for it so that I can better navigate it, which is usually a sign that you're, you're anxious going into it. Um, and I had all of those and it was amazing to like go into that and have it kind of work out at least to the degree that I no longer was feeling anxious about it or ambivalent. Like I felt like, okay, I've confronted whatever I was afraid of in this. And, you know, the other person might not have transformed, but I have reached a place where there's one less thing in my life that is like way out of balance, way out of, um, you know, something that is ultimately causing me anxiety, causing me conflict. I'm in right relationship to that, even without the other person changing, just to have like been there, and been able to show up as myself, you know, have my boundaries and speak my, speak my truth. So that's been really, really cool. I don't know if, if you've had experiences of like your podcast practice somehow bleeding out into personal conversations and just like the rest of your life with professional professional engagements and so on i try to avoid it it sometimes occurs but i try my hardest to avoid it we can't be coy with what we're doing we're doing live recordings and for almost every podcaster i listen to closely i know a decent amount about them. Joe Rogan, Lex Friedman, Tim Ferriss, Russ Roberts. You know a decent amount of those who those people are. There are a couple that I listen to that are much less, you know, less open. One, for example, is I'm not sure. I forgot. Darknet Diaries. It's the most popular cybersecurity podcast in the world. And the 
creator, I forget his name, is, and that's probably what he wants, um, is very, he, he doesn't, you know, he, he speaks on every podcast. He, you know, is very, you know, engaging. He has a, I wouldn't say an agenda, but he has a sort of view on the subject matter, which is usually a cybersecurity dilemma within some point, or even, you know, one that may be occurring in the future. And he definitely has a view on it and he puts, integrates his view with the podcast and the story. And, you know, he, he's a cybersecurity professional and he preaches how he believes he should be more private and how that is, you know, something that he values is privacy. With that being said, I think we can see with the way that, at least this is my sort of thinking, with the way that industry is going, with the way that social media is influencing the market and influencing people's decision-making on purchases. You know, Gary Vaynerchuk Mm -hmm. makes the statement, people don't care about what you wear, what you listen to. They care about what you purchase, what you're buying. And that seems at first when you hear that kind of ridiculous, like, you know, what, why does that matter? But really it does matter. People, whenever Elon Musk, you know, what Elon Musk has done in the last couple of years through Tesla and just engaging in the social media realm, he has made so much money by just engaging in the social media realm. This is my opinion. I don't know if this, I mean, obviously he has Tesla and he has SpaceX, but those companies have, you know, I don't know. And he created PayPal also. But, and this is a very big example that there is a lot of authority established by him continuing to engage on social media. And I think it's one of the reasons that he is so popular. I mean, granted, he's created two companies that people just resonate with because they're so amazing. They're so valuable to the human, to progress, you know, a company that produces really sick cars that are completely electrical. That's awesome. He was the first one. It's incredible that he did that. Honestly, when I spoke earlier, how it's very difficult for people to start up because there's a huge basis of industry already established. You know, he made a lot of money on a previous product. He got rich off of creating PayPal and then he got out of PayPal and be invested in much these other resources. And PayPal is huge now, but he's not a part of PayPal. But he literally was one of the creators, I believe. And then he got out and started doing something that, you know, he really loved, which is what he thought was good for humanity. And I think there's a couple of things. And then, you know, through that with his business, he's also been able to 
you know, continually engage in social media and become very popular and continually, you know, I mean, do you follow him on Twitter by chance? I, well, I don't follow him, but I see him all the time. It's kind of hard not to see him because so many people that I know are favoriting and so on. Yeah, exactly. And he makes so much money. And when he puts money into Twitter, the value of Twitter goes up. Tesla, the value of Tesla, you know, is the price of Tesla stock is by the standards of, you know, if you listen to Warren Buffett and I'm sorry, yes, Warren Buffett, if you listen to his way of thinking, he's a very traditional way of thinking, Tesla stock and you check the Tesla balance sheets are dramatically overpriced. But people don't care because Elon Musk is the owner and he's just so charismatic that, and this is what he believes in, that people believe in him and they're going to invest within him. You know, engaging with people online, I think is going to be huge. Creating a form of authority is huge. People are getting very wealthy and creating networks by continually establishing a sense of, I'm not sure what the word is, but I, I, wrote, I wrote an article about it, just legitimacy. You know, this brings a form, you know, when people, mm-hmm. you, people meet Jacob Kashir or when people meet Karush Koilu, there is literally a ledger online of our thinking, our network, our, you know, just all of it. And if we can, you know, if we stop, that ledger will almost certainly lose value. But if we continue to learn, upgrade our way of thinking, continue to upgrade our network and, you know, lose connection, losing connections in a network is very difficult to you know, comprehend, or even just if we want to gain new connections, that means we might have to, you know, let go of things and letting go of things is for me has been very difficult. You know, in order to pick something up that we find of high value, we usually have to let something go that is dragging us. And that's not always obvious. And even if it is obvious, it's an elephant in the room that most a lot of people including myself, don't want to address. And because it's just difficult, for some reason, our, you know, whatever it is, finds that one subject matter, that one challenge, very challenging. And, you know, I'm not sure where I was going with that. I I think you've arrived at like a fundamental reality somehow, like something very core and it's interesting how you kind of went through you went on this like arc through elon musk and twitter and what's the significance of elon musk and then how it kind of comes back to how you're interpreting that for yourself and your own navigation and then gradually it just like arrived naturally at something um you know, more philosophical in a way, something that's about 
the fundamental coupling between you and world, basically. Um, and I totally agree. And I'm just remembering what you were saying about like the, the rejection and like reaching out and having it not work out. And this is also very good um, to reflect on for me, uh, you know, the, the podcast, you see the podcast, you see the output, but there's this whole, there's all these other things that go into it, such as editing, yes. but also, you know, the person, the instrument that's sensing like, oh, what's interesting, what's not interesting? Who am I drawn to? Who am I not drawn to? And then thinking about how I can best um, reach out to that person, where are the convergences of interest? What's the possibility that I'm feeling into? Um, and for me, you know, being in such an intense transformation uh, during the podcast journey, I've had the experience of like meeting people that were like, I really looked up to who were like mentors or whatever, and then having an interaction with them. And then a year and a half goes by and I'm a totally changed person, but I have to be like at peace with the reality that like where I'm at is kind of for that person going to be uh, frozen where we last spoke in a certain sense. Um, and so that, yeah, that again, brings it back to like, you know, each new, each new meeting is the possibility of like me coming forward more fully or more truly with, with that person. I think for me, one of the most obvious when I've witnessed this in people that we've listened to over the last seven years is Sam Harris and Joe Rogan. I feel five years ago, Joe Rogan and Sam Harris won a very similar path. And in the last three or four years, that path has completely i wouldn't say completely that's that's not fair at all they both have very similar thought patterns and many things but there has been a fork in that road between those two where joe rogan really looked up to sam harris you know when he first started the podcast when sam harris was writing those you know several of his very popular books and now Joe Rogan is on a very different path in a very different community, let go of a lot of connections he had. And, you know, I don't know the relationship in any sense of the word. All I can see is what's online. You, but it's, you know, obvious that the networks have changed because, you know, Sam Harris will post this, you know, Joe Rogan, there was huge Joe Rogan controversies I would say three or four months ago, right before, three months ago, right before the Ukrainian outbreak, you know, Joe Rogan was a huge topic in America. And, you know, Sam Harris, you know, made these comments that made it seem as though on Twitter that they hadn't interacted 
in a long time that just, you know, I won't even bring any other, you know, whatever Sam Harris was saying, but it, it was obvious by those tweets that Sam and Joe hadn't interacted for quite a bit of time. But to me, to you, for a couple of years, they were very tightly connected within a network of people that were speaking. And, you know, we all associated them. Not, I wouldn't say necessarily the same. There were a lot of people who really, you know, love Sam Harris, who, just, you know, Joe Rogan, like, like you said, was he was one of Sam Harris's idols. But that's something where it was very obvious to me is what yeah. you brought up there. I mean, that, yeah, that was the intellectual dark web uh, yes. time. And I remember when I was a student, I wrote a, a paper about the intellectual dark web and it was like the first one written about it. And then later on, like six months later, it was like New York Times, Barry, Barry Weiss wrote a piece about it and suddenly it was like, like blowing up. Um, and I was super excited by that. And that was sort of, yeah, part of my journey as well. And then I also sort of found myself going off and you do naturally like, you know, when your relationship with a certain thinker feels like it's dried up or yeah, they have sort of reached a plateau which is my feeling in relationship to Sam Harris, who I did have a real learning relationship with for many years. There was a point at which I felt like Sam Harris is just like, has, is, you know, he's arrived and I'm more interested in people who were still on the, on the journey. And so then I was drawn more to, um, yeah, John, John Viveki and, and many people in this, um, some people called it like intellectual deep web, liminal web. There's a bunch of different words for this, uh, Community. space, this like network of many different communities and conversations. Um, but for me, it's really important that it's, it's evolving and yeah, I mean, got a risk. You respect privacy where you know privacy is everybody's individual um right you know there's something important and sacred about it it certainly shouldn't be uh taken away from people it's something that we voluntarily um choose to speak things in the public domain you know and for me part of the project of integration has been having a sort of greater coherence between my private self and my public self and there's a sense within me that somehow that can like having more coherence in that channel means that i become more powerful as a channel because i won't have to be thinking about this kind of code switching of uh, fragmented identities that made up a lot of culture up until very recently, like really severely fragmented worlds and contexts. And 
you know, there's something to be said for that as well. But um, my movement has been to try and, you know, somehow be adaptive to each context and be able to show up as me. Um, so I don't have to be the same style of Jacob. I don't have to tell the same stories or even express myself in exactly the same way as long as I'm feel like I'm in integrity with myself in whatever that context is. Um, yeah, and as you spoke to that, that letting go of and opening to simultaneously seem to make up us and like what's possible for us. And we could like somehow be opening to all these new possibilities and potentialities. But then there's like one thing that we won't address, let go of, whether it's confront, let go of, I should say, because I feel there's an ordering to it, um, whether it's within ourselves or it's between us and the world, e.g. A, a relationship. So, yeah, for me, the, the, for me, this is very tied up with boundaries as like a deeply understood uh, practice, which has been so like essential to the survival and development and evolution of my dialogue has been like having a skillfulness with that because otherwise my energies, my capacity to do the work completely go out the window if I don't have that um, ability to sort of stay in coherence with myself and with the other person. Um, and man, having one having even one relationship in your in your field in your life where you really feel that's totally out of whack can like hold back possibility for the whole system and this is something that me and me and hannah talk about a lot is like you know one when you can sort of i think of it sort of like roots of a tree sometimes and like one um stuck relationship stuck relationship within, within oneself one stuck trauma is a root of the tree that is sort of cut off and when you can open it suddenly like energy can flow through that and into the hole and then that will then go out into you know who knows what it's just it's opening possibility in a more general sense sometimes that's it's massive amounts of energy like sometimes it's the difference between being happy with who we are and I mean not being not being happy with who we are. And that's usually for me, it's just acting in accordance with I think you said this, acting in you know you said I believe speaking in accordance with you know the context of the situation but also acting in accordance with it. And sometimes it's just this one thing, you know, I, you know, someone said today to me, I heard you're killing it. You know, I heard you're killing it with the engineering. And it's like, yeah, you know, my, my career is going well. You know, there's a lot of things. A career is good. Career is important, but there's a lot of things outside of my career that matter. And they matter a lot. And 
when they're ignored, they matter a lot more than how, you know, my career, my ability to say, you know, I'm with this company. I value my career, my employers, the people pay me who my customers, I value them a lot. And, you know, that's why I try and do good and do well in my career. But man, you know, if, like you said, we have this root and that root isn't our career, the amount of energy that cutting that root off and having it severed. And when we want to stop the axe, you know, that's like us, I don't know, axing that root down. It's it's trying to grow. It's trying to become stronger. But then something we do or say or just the way of thinking is just like an axe, keeping it down. So when we finally decide, all right, I'm going to stop axing my own root, then it will be very weak and it will need time to grow and to be able to bring in that energy source, those nutrients that we, you know, it's to say need is not, not necessarily valuable because, you know, I don't know what we need, but that we will find extremely valuable and extremely replenishing and helping aid other vulnerabilities. And it's really, really difficult to stop axing ourselves, to stop axing those roots and to actually gain access into those nutrient sources, energy sources. Oh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's some, it's somehow, as you're speaking about it, I'm just recognizing how important my close relationships, particularly like female cohabiting relationships have been to, um, you know, the make or break of that just by virtue of having this person who you are in this ongoing constant dialogue with if that dialogue can be you know at least slightly oriented towards becoming more conscious then that over time opens up so much possibility just through the day-to-day um reflecting back and forth of these things like noticing somebody who's noticing your little behaviors and who you're noticing theirs who you can like somehow respond to that make that bring that into the wet area that's like bring that into the conscious awareness um that is really powerful and you know it's not easy i'll say that it's the the we talked about my engagement before I've been engaged since last July. Hallelujah. Um, but the, Hallelujah. <laughs> the, um, the journey has been, you know, triggering all the things that could be triggered. Like that's how those things become known a lot of the time. Sometimes, you know, through the skillfulness of our dialogue, we're just, opening things up and realizing things in this beautiful, exciting way. But other times it really is like 
whatever that thing is, whatever that maladaptive unconscious thing, it has to be um, played out in order for us to like meet it. And my sort of, one of my deepest beliefs about the mind and about reality itself is that in some sense, our unconscious wants to be made conscious. And so if we have say like a, an unconscious behavior, a maladaptive behavior, it will sort of make itself known in reality in all these different ways and continue to do so until we wake up to it the same way with relationships toxic dynamics like oh you broke up with this person and then you somehow ended up with somebody who's like so strikingly similar in all these different ways and suddenly you're like reconnecting with some really deep sort of mirror pattern in the other person yeah that is like so deeply true of how reality works for me is that i i meet that again and i get the opportunity to do something slightly different with it than i did the time before and that is a lot of the the healing process for me as well um so yeah. Yes. <clears throat> I feel our relationship, you know, has taken dramatic has had dramatic changes since the outbreak of COVID. For the better probably, I at least I think. What do you think? And I can speak on why and but and I'm happy for you to it's kind of a very open field and I wonder like yes. what, in, what, um, what in particular, what just, you know, I think an example is, you know, at least for me, I had a lot of growth to do when we were speaking together had a lot of expectations of people, had, uh, I wasn't, you know, I don't know what to say, but just not as kind and not as forgiving as I think I could be, but a lot of growth in these last two years. And I think we've both spoken about how people who don't hold empathy, you know, they're very difficult to work with, but they also don't grow. They don't, you know, even for someone who doesn't, who doesn't empathize with others, yes, they may distress others. And not to say that I'm the most empathetic person here in the world or to say I'm empathetic at all, but it is something that I value and I attempt to maintain a source, a sense of empathy within my relationship, relations with people. But 
for people who don't value that, who don't see it or attempt to maintain a sense of empathy, there's a lot of growth that isn't established because I feel as though we can't relate to others and we can't see where we are not correct in our actions, where we are distressing other people. And when we distress other people, that is, that matters back to us. Some people say they don't care, but, you know, Russ Roberts, one of my favorite podcast hosts, one of his favorite, he's an economist, and one of his favorite economists is Adam Smith, you know, 17th century or 18th century economist from Ireland, who has this quote, he always says this quote, I believe it is man's desire is to not only, is not only to be loved, but to be lovely. And, (laughs) you know, it, you know, we want to be good. We want to be someone that the community values. We want this. It's very, in, you know, embedded within the core of being a human being. I, this is my opinion. And so growth, empathy matters because how we how people you know what the idea i've also heard this the you know people don't remember specific words or actions they remember a general feeling of how you made them you know how you made them feel if you made them feel distressed if you made them feel happy if you made them feel sad if you made them feel nervous that's the overall that's what people will remember from being with us and so i you know i really it's of high value and it's not easy and it's not to say that i do this but caring about other people's and emotional well-being you know it's it matters because like i think we said this way earlier in the podcast you know all of most of life's challenges today are not easy to are nearly impossible to to handle alone having a network a support system behind us makes things a lot simpler a lot easier you know it makes the risks seem less risky and so when you know all that credibility you know it's going to build up these podcasts they're going to build up the way we've spoken to people the way we've treated people what we've given to people and what we've taken from people that's all gonna matter i mean those things on an individual level but in the sense they all come together and you know they are who we who we are who we embody and so just recognizing that i think brings a lot of growth and recognizing again boundaries you've said it a couple times boundaries is the only way you know i think 
boundaries is a sort of people take it as selfishness, but it's inherently selfless. I, I don't want to say that, you know, if we want to be there for people who will be there for us, who will need us someday, we need to be ready. We need to be like fortified and strong and capable. And so again, you know, I'm not going to say that I practice this and, you know, but, but this is my thinking. It requires, you know, being having boundaries because we can't just let that empathy be just blatant and just go yeah. on, you know, without control and speak. Yeah. Please, if you have I just wanted to hone in on what you just did because it seems to be super important is like, we don't like I can speak for myself and maybe for both of us we don't always yet we haven't yet attained the wisdom that we're speaking or like the insight that we're bringing into words we haven't yet fully integrated it and sometimes more often than not the opportunity of of emergent dialogue is to be able to speak that thing you know to speak something new, to speak something yeah. uh, for me for the first time often. And then it's become like seated in my field of possibility. Um, and when you were talking about like, uh, you know, how the sum of each interaction and the sum of the work, the sum of the podcasts, there is a kind of mis mysterious, um, law of attraction way in which I experience this whole thing. It's not really like I do X and then Y will happen. It's sort of like if I am faithfully applying myself to it, then faithful out faithful and surprising outcomes will occur. And it's been really nice, even though my stuff is like pretty, you know, my channel has like 200 subscribers, um, which feels pretty small and have some essays and so on. But occasionally um, somebody in like an online community will like watch one of my things and just be super interested and go on like a dive into my, into my archive and then come back and say, like, I watched all this stuff and it was really interesting. And then it feels like, oh, what I did two years ago hasn't been, you know, just disappeared into the ether completely. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's no way of telling the story without just getting into my own experience, which is that I, at the end of 2019, I really view that time as like the self that I was, was like slowly coming to an end That's because of the uh, toxic relationship I was in with a person, but also in a sense with life, um, to be like onboarding all of this, to not have boundaries and to be in relationship with trauma is to onboard it. And so I had a very coherent ego that was sort of resting on top of a whole lot of incoherent stuff that wasn't integrated and wasn't reflected in any of my uh, relationships, my 
friends, my family, and so on. And so when I came out of that whole um, toxic situation, there was also the realization of like, oh, like part of why this has occurred is my inability to communicate my own experience and the lack of uh, any real understanding of this thing we call boundaries. Because like you said, it, it has a negative connotation somehow. I think we think of boundaries as like the reaction of somebody who doesn't really have good boundaries who is now enforcing them. And this is what's brought up by the word boundaries. It's like, well, you're on my boundaries. Yes, um, and they'll say it. But that, <laughs> right, that's sort of the, that's not the optimal understanding. I think there's a, when I went through my little journey of like thinking about it for the first time and like really like getting my own understanding of what it is, I started to feel that there is an art to this and it's much wow. more like, in a biochemical sense of like different, like at the very foundational blocks of life, you have organisms that have integrity, structural integrity, they have a membrane. And insofar as they don't have that, they will like sort of dissolve and just be consumed by other things and their capacity to form together with other blocks of life and then create more complex organisms like us comes out of those individual organisms having their own integrity. So um, that integrity for me is, is made up of that very subtle balance that occurs in every single interaction and relationship and the learning journey of life is that those uh those possibilities of like moving more into coherence or out of coherence are like constantly presenting themselves and so the practice then became saying the thing that would be uncomfortable to say that is true or you know if if i'm like overwhelmed in a situation and i need to step out for a little bit and come back in because I am a very uh, sensitive individual. Like I'm highly, highly sensitive beyond normal, I would say, um, to be able to do that and to like sort of smoothly do it or, or communicate that I'm going to do it. Like this was a super important thing with me and my current partner was like, when I'm getting overwhelmed, being like, I need to go for a walk and then going for a walk and then coming back in a much better state. But, you know, there was a time in my life where I just wouldn't take that action. I would just move into a situation that was imbalanced and then I would just dwell in it without skillful boundaries and then be, um, yeah, onboarding that energy. So. That's a little bit of a, um, yeah, insight into how I've come to re reconsider what boundaries are and it makes a huge difference. And it's, it's actually the, it's 
the key to be able to actually be of service to people. And often with, particularly with like Christian religious communities, which is also where I grew up in, um, there's a lot of like rescuing, there's a lot of savior complex kind of behaviors where people will take on another person who is sort of sinking whilst themselves not being able like in such a way that reduces that overall integrity, sovereignty, coherence. Um, but it's only from the place of sovereignty, integrity, and coherence that they can really be helpful because otherwise you're just a person who's, who's sinking, trying to help another person who's sinking and you're both trying to help each other and it's not going to, um, not going to work out in the, in the optimal way. No, it's not. And those boundaries, you know, I feel like the tradition, what we spoke about, what happens is that someone doesn't execute boundaries very well or in accordance with how they, it would probably work out for them. And then someone does come on and a drowning person does latch on to them and then they're both drowning and then while they're both drowning the person starts to say i need boundaries and then cuts that person off and then both person both of them start drowning because they're already so far deep that yes but you know boundaries aren't necessarily being you know ignoring a person that is drowning it's you know establishing mm -hmm. systems that in case that does happen in a manner that you can actually address and that won't you know destroy i don't know what to say i don't want to say destroy but you know impede our life you know, there are things we can take on, responsibilities we can take on that will be, that when we leave them, we will be, have exerted a lot of energy and a lot of time. And a lot of those things are frankly just not worth engaging in at all. And so establishing those boundaries is very important because you know, we need to be able to recognize and have systematic processes to, you know, those, those people that say we're, say we're in a, you know, ocean and there's supplies everywhere. Well, if we set up boundaries, you know, this is a bad analogy. I'm not even going to continue, <laughs> but setting up boundaries and recognizing what's worthwhile and what we can't afford to take on for whatever reason. There are things, you know, I'm big, I like economy, I think of things in terms of an economist and even when it comes to emotional well-being, I like to think of it in terms of, an, you know, a scale, an economical scale. There's a certain amount of emotional toll we can all take before we're too, it's too much and we have to be very aware of where our limits are. For everyone, those limits are different too. And 
just being aware of <clears throat> where those limits are, setting the boundaries so we don't reach those limits or reaching those limits become very difficult, then, you know, we won't be in that fight or flight mode so often for whatever reason, because we don't set boundaries. And then we allow these things, you know, we don't we're allow ourselves to be too vulnerable. And then something, you know, because we didn't set boundaries, you know, takes a huge toll in our lives. It's that root that we keep axing down. But, you know, boundaries, setting boundaries allows us to have the energy to just recognize things that need to change. You know, it's hard to stop axing ourselves when we're trying to help someone else stop axing themselves or when we're continually, you know, engaging in things that don't really prosper us, then, you know, we need to just recognize where we can and can't engage. Yeah. And then take the actions further so that when we have to engage, we're not, it doesn't break us. Yeah, I was feeling that the the shift from like I'm gonna change someone or I need somebody to change, like that that therein already is sort of one of the foundations of toxic relationship is like I need this person to be different. Yes. Um and the shift from that to I need to just be in integrity with myself in relationship to that person that is the sauce and that has been really transforming my life for the last year i'm finally reaching a place where i like have fucking like gotten through the clearing and suddenly i don't feel like there's i don't feel a fear of being out of whack with my boundaries with relationships in my life anymore um so yeah it's you know it's not just um there's so many layers to this it's not just something that's being set it's something that we're constantly sensing into as well uh it could be shifting and you know for me that integrity is to be able to name what I'm experiencing and bring it out into the shared space. And often what happens is when we can't communicate, which, you know, that's me, that's a lot of autistically dispositioned people and so on, to not be able to communicate what we're experiencing and then to be actually sensitive to something in our environment, in other people that they are not aware of, that they are unconscious of, and we're sensitive to it, then it comes into us. And insofar as we're not able to name it and like keep that coherence between the inside and the outside, then that unconscious material is all just coming in, whatever like maladaptive stuff, it's all coming in, it's loading on. But when we can like, be in coherent relationship with it and name it, not like attack it, but just be like, this is what I'm, this is what I'm experiencing right now. This is what I, you know, this is what I feel that 
actually creates the boundary. So that the boundary is being alchemized through through words. Yeah. Yes. And it, you know, like we said earlier, finding the right diction and speaking what we actually mean to say, along with being empathetic, allows us to relate to the other person and will allow us to communicate our boundaries to them with more ease. And I feel, you know, most people that we work with, again, going to, you know, we have to be empathetic because we have to understand other people's boundaries as well. Because when we breach those boundaries, they know it, they feel it. And, you know, they, again, it's a, it's a feeling. It's not a specific small things. It's more of a big picture when it comes to people. At least that's my thinking about it. And if we continually breach someone's boundaries, it's, they're going to have a bad, they're going to have a, you know, less than optimal view of us. And that's not what we want. We want to be lovely. We want to be loved and we want to be lovely. And so, you know, being, I'm, I'm sorry, what was your point? What, what did you say? I, I mean, merely the, the subtlety of like what we can name somehow is really key to it. And if there's something present that is affecting us, but we can't bring it into words, then that can be that, that that's like a sort of key to these creating these boundaries. Yes. Or just creating and... coherence, just setting aside boundaries, like coherence between inside and outside effectively which are boundaries which you know because if we have none boundaries there's just going to be incoherence and so recognizing other people's recognizing our own and adjusting our actions for both it it's optimal and i think another thing is I forgot what I wanted to say, but it matters. And if we want to progress and grow and find these avenues and do things, you know, you know, things are, everything's nearly impossible to do alone, almost everything. So making people feel good with the way that they interact with you is a huge deal and even for the most technical people or the least technical people it matters significantly in the long run it matters in the short run maybe it won't matter maybe it won't but if you if we continually act out of accordance with people's boundaries just no one will come to support us if we ever need it if we ever call for it and it matters keeping on the right side of boundaries yeah 
and the the last piece i feel we're sort of reaching a natural close now but to sort of speak more to the tools um of this like there are tools and practices that people can people listening to this can go to um call them psychotechnologies technology technologies of the psyche tools of the psyche we go to the gym to keep our bodies fit and feeling good um we can go to these wisdom gems of dialogue of transformative dialogue practice which is my um has been my project and my mission yes um, is to create a really sensitively attuned space that is just conducive to learning and conducive to people um developing the capacity to transform conversation, which is basically the core of all relationship. Um, so, and then there's other things like circling. I don't know if you've ever heard of circling, but this is a really big worldwide practice came out of San Francisco. And um, it's sort of like a social meditation where you practice with another person and you just practice things like observing Oh, like this is what I'm sensing in this moment. And is this true for you? And just like working at this very foundational level, um, these skills can be super transformative. I feel like I've only dipped, dipped my toes in. I feel like there's many, many years of new dimensions to this to open up. And it feels like a lifelong, um, lifelong journey, lifelong practice that, you know, is, is becoming meaningful work for me, but ultimately is going to outlive the work because I'll always be having conversations whilst I'm in this earthly form. I've said it better. It's, uh, yeah, practicing, reading, writing, speaking with others. <sighs> Thank you, Karish. Thank you, Jacob.